So the offering, I will say, you'll have noticed on your way in that the offering plates were in the foyer, so I encourage you uh, to to worship God on your way out in that regard by giving our offering. There's also the um, little sheets um, where you can get the, 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 the details for the standing order. We encourage you to, to take those if you'd find that more convenient uh, to, to give in that way. We've just read from Ephesians chapter 3, but uh, just in case you've, you've closed that, can I invite you to open it again? And we're going to be spending the remaining of our, our remainder of our service studying these verses together. So can I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 3, uh, verses 14 to 19. Well, this is God's word, so let us, um, let us pray to him for his help in understanding it. Let's pray. Almighty God, as we come to this passage, which is about prayer, it is fitting that we come to you in prayer to help us with it. We thank you for your word. We thank you that it teaches us many things. And we thank you tonight, as we're going to see, that it teaches us how to respond to your gospel. And the response, the response of prayer. We pray that as we look at this subject, which may be familiar uh, to some of us and not at all familiar to others, we pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work in our hearts and that we would recognize that this is your word for your people in this place, in this time. And you would give us the ears and the hearts to hear and heed what is being said. We pray for these things in and through the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as you can see on the screen behind me, this passage, verses 14 to 19, is all about prayer. Or specifically, as you see there, it's all about the power of prayer. And we see this from this passage, which is really Paul's conclusion to this first half of his letter to the church in Ephesus. And the majority of this first half of his letter is made up of teaching. Now, many of you will have been with us throughout our series, and you'll know what teaching Paul has covered. Let's do a quick overview just in case you haven't been here or you've forgotten. And let's start at chapter 2, verse 1. Because in in chapter 2, verse 1, Paul has told the Ephesians, or has taught the church in Ephesus, and indeed us, how although we are totally sinful and unable to save ourselves, God sent his Son to save us and to give us the faith that we need in order to receive the blessings of the gospel. Then in chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, this pattern of who we were and what God has done for us and who we now are continues. And instead, you'll remember, instead of being about us as individuals, as the first half of the chapter was, Paul in these verses explains or he talks to us as Gentiles, as those who were previously outside of the covenant and privileges of, uh, our, of, of, of God. You'll remember, we looked at it a few weeks ago. Paul says, now, as Gentiles, as a a body of people previously kept outside of the covenants with God, you have been brought near to God. And you're now, as he concludes in verse 22, the very temples in which God lives. This is the gospel that is contained in chapter 2. And it is in response to this gospel 
that Paul now bows his knees in prayer. We see he does this, first of all, in verse 1 of our chapter. And then, after a short digression from verses 2 to 13, he returns, doesn't he? Verse 14. Have a look. See what he says in verse 14? For this reason, for all of these things that I've been talking about, this great gospel, I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family, Gentile, Jew, in heaven and on earth, derives its name. And then he goes on to pray. You see, this is how Paul responds to the gospel, with prayer. Now, this should be no surprise to us, and particularly if you've been with us our whole way through this letter, because this is not the first time that Paul has done this. We saw it, didn't we? Right at the very end of, of chapter 1, you'll remember that. He, he finishes his opening section uh, with his teaching in verses 3 to 14, and he goes, doesn't he? He responds in prayer. You'll turn back there to verse 15 of chapter 1, you'll see for yourselves. And this, this, this pattern that Paul lays out for us, gospel, teaching, prayer, is the pattern that we, as God's people, need to follow. This is, coincidentally, why we, more often than not, in our services of worship, pray after we read. And you'll notice that the prayers that we pray from the front are connected to that very reading. It's the same in the programs. If you're involved in our programs, you've maybe maybe never noticed this before, but that's the reason why we pray at the very end. That's why we pray at the end of our growth groups. That's why we pray the way we do in our prayer meeting. We have gospel, we have scripture, and then we pray in response to it. I'm convincing this way because this is important to see. It's kind of a, a long preamble. But it's not just important that we see this pattern, but that we see what it details. And what I mean by this is as we look at this passage, verses 14 to 19, we're going to see that Paul doesn't just pray a random prayer in response to all this teaching, but that his prayer is connected to what he has been talking about. We were actually talking about this on staff on Wednesday. I don't know if you know this, but uh, one of the things we do in staff is we give the apprentices uh, tasks to do. Uh, and some of the tasks we do is we, we, give them, we give them a topic to study and deliver a seminar on. And actually, David, just this last week, uh, gave a seminar on prayer. And he started by saying that, that not only do we learn how to pray by watching others, but we need instruction on how to do it too. It's a bit like driving a car. We've all, I imagine, have seen a car being driven. Yet you'll know that we cannot get a license to drive a car simply by observing someone else. We need instruction. Some of us, I'm sure, have tried this. Maybe growing up, you tried to give it a go, driving without a license. And we can make a pretty good go at it, couldn't we? We make a pretty good go at driving without instruction but it would be our idea of what's going on. And we'd pick up lots of bad habits on the way. And it would be certainly prone to mistakes. Well, so it is with prayer. Simply looking at this passage and seeing that Paul prays in response to the gospel isn't enough. We need to get into the detail. We need to see what it is he is saying and ask, why is he saying this? Because there is the instruction. There is the reasoning of how we are to pray. 
and not just why we are to pray. And that's what we're going to see this evening. And if you're a relatively new Christian and you've never heard uh, any sort of teaching on prayer, well, that's what you're going to see. You're going to see how Paul prays in response to everything that he said. It's connected. Or maybe you're a mature Christian. Maybe you've been praying for a long time. Well, this is an opportunity to, to return to the classroom, to be encouraged in what you're doing well, and to maybe iron out or to pick up those bad habits that you've picked along the way. Well, let's get into this prayer of Paul's, and let's see how Paul responds to this teaching, this gospel. And we're going to see that he, he does this by praying two things for the church in Ephesus. Let's see what they are. He prays that they are strengthened by Christ's presence and they are strengthened by Christ's love. So let's have a look, shall we? Let's have a look at our our first point. So Paul prays that they would be strengthened by Christ's presence. And we'll see this in, in verses 16 to 17 where Paul, he prays for his brothers and sisters in Christ that they would be increasingly filled with Jesus. And the reason Paul does this, as we're going to see, is so that they would fulfill their calling as Christians. Now you'll see there, we see this from verses 16 to 17a, and it's quite a compact little uh, couple of verses. So let's read them again, shall we? Let's have a look at verses 16 to 17a. Let's have a look. Verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Those are, like I said, they are quite compact little verses. So let me try and summarize them for you. Keep your eyes on them. And this is what I think Paul is saying here. Have a look from verses 14 to 17a. He's saying, Paul, isn't he? He is asking our heavenly father to go to the storehouse of his riches and give us strength through the Holy Spirit. Isn't that what he's saying? And this strength that comes from the Holy Spirit into our inner beings or into our souls is Christ himself. You see, that is the essence of Paul's prayer. That his brothers and sisters in Christ would be increasingly filled with Jesus Christ so that we may fulfill our calling as Christians. Now, hopefully, as I say this, it sounds straightforward enough. But to properly understand why Paul prays for this, we need to dig a little bit dig deeper into our passage. And we need to, what we need to do in order to do that is, is to look at how Paul describes Jesus. Have a look at our verses once more and see how Paul describes Jesus. Do you see how he describes him? In terms of power. Do you see that? Verse 16 I pray that out of his, the Father's glorious riches, the Father may strengthen you with power through his Spirit. This is interesting, isn't it? Because this is perhaps not what you would expect Paul to pray for. You might expect Paul to pray that we would be filled with the grace of Christ, perhaps. Or the mercy of Christ, perhaps. Or even the love of Christ, but he doesn't do that, does he? Rather, he prays that we would be filled with the power of Christ. 
Now, in order to understand why Paul prays this way, we need to remember, don't we? We need to remember what it is he's praying in response to. Now, we mentioned this at the start. We said that Paul's teaching was the gospel. But to help us understand why, the power, why he prays for power in particular, let's have a, a, couple, a look at a couple of verses that will help us understand this. Let's have a look at verses, uh, chapter 2, verse 10, for instance. Have a look there, chapter 2, verse 10. D- do you see the outcome of our personal salvation? What does it say in that verse? What is the outcome of our personal salvation? It says that we were saved from our sin. How, what? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Well, what about the second section where Paul explains how we were saved as a, a body of people? Do you see what it says in verse 22? What is the outcome of the second sort of, second sort of area of the gospel? Verse 22 of chapter 2. And in him, in Christ, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. What about chapter 3, verse 10? Do you see God's reason for doing all this? Chapter 3, verse 10. His intent was that now, through the church, through you, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. See, do you see what Paul has been saying? He's saying that the purpose of the gospel of Jesus Christ was to save you to serve God, was to unite you to one another, so that you might be the holy temple, the very temple where God himself would dwell, so that you, us together, might present the glory of God to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms. You don't need me to explain that to you. That's what we've been looking at in these past weeks. But tell me, now that you have that in your mind, do you think you can achieve that in your own strength? No. With this in your mind, what would you rather be filled with? The grace, mercy, love of Christ? Or would you rather be filled with his strength? You see, this is the gospel that is being taught in this letter. It's this reminder that we are weak, empty vessels. We're like, it's like, a, it's like, a, we're like an oven glove. You know what an oven glove is like? An oven glove is, is powerless until the hand goes in and makes it, makes it do, achieve its sort of created, whatever it was you know, created to do, take things out of the oven. And we're exactly the same. We cannot achieve the things that we were saved to achieve. We need help. We need Jesus Christ. And we need his power. That's what Paul means when he says in verse 17. Do you see that? He prays that Christ may dwell in our hearts. One commentator helpfully explains that this dwelling is not necessarily meant in this context of, you know, about conversion. But about control. And in other words, the more that we are filled with Jesus the more we will be able to live out our calling as the people and the church of God. Now that's the gospel, isn't it? That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what Paul has been saying all along. It's all about Jesus. It's not about us. Even our good works are accomplished through his power. And Paul says we need, therefore, to pray for one another. 
We need to pray that Christ would fill our hearts, that he would take control of our lives so that we would become the people that we were saved to be. You see, Paul not only shows us how we are to pray, he doesn't just say after there's a reading or after you hear the gospel, pray. He instructs us in what to say. He says, listen to the reading, listen to the gospel, and pray accordingly. And in this instance, where Paul has just shown us the glories of the gospel, and what that means for every believer, and what it means for the church, he comes and he prays that we would be filled with the power of Christ so that we would fulfill our calling as Christians. And this has been my prayer for us, that he would become greater in our lives and we would become less, that our sin would diminish and that we would grow in holiness, that our hearts and our minds would become aligned with the will of God, that together we would grow in unity, to glorify God and that through our actions as we love one another and care for one another that we would present his wisdom to the world and above all that we would know that all of these things which we have been called to do all of these things that we have been saved for are not accomplished by our strength or by our own effort but by getting on our knees before our heavenly father and asking him to go to this, his, storehouse, his storehouse of riches. And that through his Holy Spirit, we might have more of Jesus in our lives. And more of his mighty power. This is my prayer for you. And I trust it will be your prayer for one another. What does Paul pray in response to this gospel? That we will be strengthened by Christ's presence. But he also prays that we would be strengthened by Christ's love. You'll see there that the second thing we see as Paul praying for God's people is that they would grasp the love of Jesus. And you'll see there in the screen behind me that the reason he prays us is so that they would let Jesus reign in their hearts. Now we say that, see this in the second half of our, our passage. So as before, let's, let's read it again. Let's pick it up in the second half of verse 17. He says, And I pray that ye, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love that surpasses knowledge, that ye may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Keep your eyes on those verses and you will see that love is the main theme in these verses, isn't it? You see how many times the word love is repeated? Three times, I believe. And so it's clear, isn't it? Paul is praying that his brothers and sisters would know the love of Jesus. But again, this is not just a model for us to follow. It is something that we need to see and understand so that we're instructed to do the same. So we must ask the question, why? Why does Paul pray that they would know the love of Jesus? Well, I think the answer comes by recalling our first point, 
What did we just say on our first point? What was the essence of our first point? That we're to pray to Jesus that he would enter our souls, that he would take charge of our lives so that we might fulfill our calling as Christians? Well, think about this. Because as much as we recognize that it's the gospel and we think it's wonderful, I reckon when we think about this a little bit more, we realize that to some people, this might not actually sound all that great. Who here, think to yourself, who here likes or wants to be controlled? Let's use coronavirus as an example, shall we? How many of us are looking forward to the day when the government really tells us what we can and cannot do? No. We don't want to be controlled. We don't like to be controlled. And as much as we know what Paul is praying for in the first half of the passage is the gospel, the reality is because of our sin, it goes against our nature, doesn't it? We like to be in charge of our lives, and this includes our faith. Well, it is. We want some responsibility. Maybe even some of us, when we were going through those verses in chapter 2 and chapter 3, we thought to ourselves, you know, I can fulfill this purpose on my own. Well, I hope you understand that these thoughts are a misunderstanding of the gospel. They're sinful thoughts. But I want us to see that rather than rebuke us or beat us up, Paul reminds us of the gospel. Because the gospel is that in Jesus Christ we have a Lord who loves us more than anything in this world. You see, Jesus is not some civil servant or he's some tyrant king or some abusive leader. Jesus loves us. And when we come under his rule, when we submit to his authority, we will be in the best hands. This actually coincides with what we read this morning. Do you remember what we read this morning, what Jesus said about his rule? He said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Membership in Jesus' kingdom is like that. It's not freedom to live on our own. We, we don't, we're, not, we're not yoke free. We're not burden free. We've been redeemed. We've been saved from the world into his kingdom. And like if you remember Dylan and his children's address, the two teachers. Jesus is the good teacher, isn't he? He's the good master. He loves us dearly. And you see, this is what Paul wants us to remember whenever we consider having our hearts ruled by Jesus Christ. When we consider giving more and more authority to him, we need to remember who Jesus is. He's not some tyrant king. He loves us. You see what he says? Have a look at our verses again. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide, how long, and high, and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. There's so much in these verses, but let's have a look at what really Paul is saying here about the love of Christ. The first thing, let's have a look at how wide, how he describes it. He says, I pray that you would know how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And let me say that Paul doesn't say this because Christ's love can be measured, but it's so that we might try and measure it. 
Let, let me try and illustrate it this way. I've, I've, I've brought a book with me. I've put it up on your screen, but I don't know if any of you know this book. Guess how much I love you, okay? If you don't know this book, it's, it's a children's book about a hare and, um, I don't know what a baby hare is, but a hare uh, and its, its child. And, and the baby hare is spending the whole book trying to convey to its parent how much he loves his parent. He says, guess how much I love you, and he'll put his arms like this, this much. And the parent will say, well, I love you this much. And then the, the baby hare will jump and say, I, I love you, you know, this much. And the adult hare will jump so much more. But this is how the book ends. It gets to the very end of the evening. And the, the baby hare has just looked over the hills and thought, that's very, very far. But then the baby hare looked beyond the thorn bushes, out into the big dark sky. Nothing could be further than the sky, he thought. I love you right up to the moon, he said. And he closed his sleepy eyes. Oh, that's far, said Big Nut Brown Hare. That's very, very far. Big Nut Brown Hare settled little Nut Brown Hare into the bed of leaves. He leaned over and kissed him goodnight. And he lay down close by and whispered with a smile, I love you right up to the moon and back. Are we familiar with that? You see, the purpose of this book is not to make the little hare feel that he doesn't love his parents, but to realize the love of his parent for him. And I encourage you to just do the same with Jesus Christ. You can say to Jesus, Jesus, do you love me this much? And Jesus is saying, no, 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 I love you even more and even more and even more. And Paul here, he tells us to try and measure the love of Christ. And when we think we have it measured, I think Jesus will stretch our minds a little bit more. And Paul, his point, his purpose for doing this is that the higher we climb in our count of how wide and long and high and deep, the lower our knees will fall in submission. You see, this is what Paul is praying for these people. He wants us to know the love of Christ in our hearts, in our lives, so that he will let us rule in him more. But it's also a love that surpasses knowledge, isn't it? Do you see that, verse 18? And to know that this love surpasses knowledge. Well, what does this mean? What, is, what does that mean? Well, let me ask you. Have you understood everything Paul has said in these opening three chapters? Do you understand the depths to which God has called you? Now, if you do, I'd be intrigued to know what that is. I'd love, I'd love to hear that. Because there's so much in there that we do not understand. And again, naturally, our, our, our sort of response to something we don't understand is, is to resist or to go our own way. I think that's right. I, we don't believe in blind faith. We need information, we need detail. But the problem whenever it comes to trying to understand or grasp the gospel of Jesus Christ is that if we resist, then we'll never submit. But whenever we look at Jesus, whenever we consider his love, we realize that even though we may not have a full knowledge, even though we may not have all the information or every detail, when we remember how much love there is for us, we will submit to him. Again, I think this is something we recognize in ourselves. 
remember growing up, my parents, you maybe had this experience yourself, um, my parents would tell me some, to do something, and I'd say, why? Class, or, you know, the response is, because I said so. And I don't know if you've, you've ever said that or have that said to you, but it's pretty demoralizing. And it's a word of authority, isn't it? Because I said so. But it's also a word of love. Our parents say that to us because maybe they're tired and they don't want to explain themselves. But more often than not, because the explanation is too great for their child to understand. And it's the same with Jesus. Why should we submit to Jesus? We may not understand it, but we know he loves us. And so we should. Finally, let's deal with this very last sentence because this is tricky to you, isn't it? What does he say? That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. This actually confirms everything that we've been seeing, that we've been seeing. That as we grasp the love of Christ, we will submit to Jesus more and more. And we will be filled to the fullness of God. In other words, the more we submit to him, the more we're filled with him, the more we have the power of God within our lives. And that's how these verses hang together. Not just taken word for word or phrase by phrase. And this is how we are to pray for one another in response to this gospel that we have been hearing over this last few weeks. We're to pray for one another that our brothers and sisters would grasp the love of Christ in their lives. We're to pray for one another that, that they would not resist his rule, but that they would throw themselves into his loving care, that they would dwell upon how long and how wide and high and deep his love for them. And as they search that through the scriptures, that their knees would fall deeper and deeper to the ground in submission. It's our prayer, it's my prayer, that you would know the love of Christ more, so that you would be filled with him more, so that his power would be at work in you more, that you would fulfill your calling as Christians more, so that you would glorify the Father more. You see, it is compact, it is deep, But it makes complete sense when we know the gospel that which we have been taught. And this is how we are to pray. We're not just to pray randomly after we hear the Bible read or taught. We're to listen to what we've heard. Pray in the passage. That's what we talk about in staff. We talk about praying in the passage. What have we learned? How are we to pray for one another? You see, there is power in prayer, isn't there? It's a deceptive title because it's not our power. Nor is it a power that enables us to do something remarkable or supernatural. You kind of think that we're going to be transformed into these superhuman beings. It's not that kind of power. It's the opposite, actually. It's a power that drives us to our knees before our Heavenly Father. Not simply for ourselves, but for one another. And ask him, what does Paul say? that you may open your glorious riches, out of your glorious riches, that you in your grace, Heavenly Father, might give our brothers and sisters a sense of Christ's presence in their lives, a knowledge of his love, so that they might submit to his rule and fulfill the purpose for which they were saved.
Like I said, this is my prayer for you, and I, I trust it is your prayer for me and your prayer for one another. It's fitting, I think, that we should conclude in prayer. Let's do that, shall we? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you indeed have a storehouse full of riches, riches of grace and mercy and love for us. And we can call you Father because of Jesus Christ, and we come to you now in his name, and we ask you, we ask you that you would, out of your glorious riches, strengthen us with power through your Spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in all our hearts through faith. And we pray that ye, we pray that as we are rooted and established in faith, that we may have power together to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know that this love surpasses any knowledge that we might have, and that we might be filled with the measure of all the fullness of God. We pray this so that we might show off your wisdom to the world, that we might glorify you, that we might fulfill the purpose for which we have been saved. Amen.